0: Please start with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you're the kind of person that likes to hold a physical book in front of you, and you're gonna use the physical book in front of you, it's on page 1674. Um, today is the last Sunday in Lent before Holy Week begins. So next week is next week's Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then we have Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday and then Easter Sunday. So we're getting there. Uh, and during Lent, we have been doing a sermon series that we are calling Taking Up for Lent, Taking Up Blank for Lent. So rather than giving things up like chocolate and alcohol and this kind of thing that traditionally people do, we've been talking about taking things on, taking things up, things like joy, things like humility, things like reconciliation. This morning, we are reading Philippians 3, verses 4 to 14, and we're talking about taking up nothing for Lent. And maybe that will make more sense to you after we read the text. So let's do that. (laughs) Philippians 3, uh, we're going to start halfway through verse 4, right in that new paragraph there. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to uh, the church in Philippi, and he's talking about the nature of our relationship with God. What is the nature of our relationship with God? with God. Listen to God's word. Paul writes, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is writing to the members of this church in Philippi, and he's very, very eager that these believers would rethink the nature of their relationship with God. He wants them to rethink the nature of their relationship with God, so that they will have an accurate understanding of that relationship. It's not that he wants them to have a perfect understanding of it, because who can have a perfect understanding of anything, especially when it comes to um, the life of God, but he does want them to have an accurate understanding of it. It's very important for us to have an accurate understanding of our relationships. For example, Charlie. When I was a kid, my family took our obligatory trip to Orlando, Florida to go to Disney World. Um, I loved it. I was in fourth grade. It was like... The bullseye for me. I just absolutely, absolutely loved it. I'll never forget it. I will also never forget the day before we went to Disney World, my dad made us go on one of these timeshare tours because it would mean that we would get a discount on our hotel room. Right? Have you done this before? There's no shame. That's okay. Um, so there we are. We're, t- <laughs> we're touring this timeshare. And we're being ushered around by this fantastic human being named Charlie. Charlie shows up with a ton of energy and some really cool Mickey Mouse socks. And he's super engaging, and he's, and he's really charismatic, and he's giving me all of this attention. And as a fourth grader, I was absolutely thrilled by this guy. He was funny, and he was charismatic, and he asked me a lot of questions about things that I liked, and I was very taken with the guy, and I just knew that we would be friends forever. So at the end of the tour, Charlie takes us into his boss's office for the big pitch. And I'm sure that the, the timeshare mind tricks work on some people, but they do not work on my dad. <laughs> my father is immune to such things, so we were not in that office for very long. So now, uh, after Charlie has failed to make a sale, it's his job to walk us back to our car. And as he does this, it's like Charlie is a totally different person. I'm asking him questions and I'm cracking jokes and I'm calling back to these things that were hilarious 20 minutes ago and Charlie, nothing. The light has been switched off. He's no longer funny, he's no longer charismatic and he simply does not care that I exist. I had to rethink my relationship to Charlie. Charlie was a salesperson, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Charlie was very glad to have a relationship with me when he thought that there was something for him in return. And I'm not saying that that's true of salespeople. I'm only saying that's true of Charlie. Uh, He had turned on this charm because he was trying to make a sale, and then when it was very clear that he was not going to make that sale, he just flipped the switch off. And I just didn't matter to him anymore. As a fourth grader, I failed to understand the nature of my relationship to Charlie. It's important that we understand the nature of our relationship to God. We have to rethink, Paul is writing these words because he wants us to rethink the nature of our relationship to God. The assumption... That most of us have, and this was Paul's assumption also for a time, the assumption that most of us have is that we, we need to have something to offer to God in order to be accepted by him. We need to have a resume. We need to have some kind of righteousness that will impress God because we think that because that's how life works, right? Everybody knows this. You need to have a resume. You need to have some kind of experience. You need to have something to offer, you would never hire a contractor who says, well, I've never built anything before, but I'm happy to practice on your place. You would never trust a surgeon who says, you know, I'm not technically licensed, but I'll go in there and dig around for a while. <laughs> no, we <laughs> It's terrible. We need resumes. We need proof that people have done things that we're going to ask them to do. We need to know that these people are bringing something to the relationship. For a contractor, we need to see long lists of satisfied customers over years of service. For the surgeon, we need to know that she has performed this procedure hundreds of times to great success. Quite understandably, we come to a relationship and we ask ourselves, what does this person bring to the job? What does this person bring to the relationship? What experience? What expertise? What resume? What skills? What reason do I have to put my faith in this person? That's the nature of the relationships that you and I have with one another. We need some assurance that this is going to work out for us. But that is not the nature of our relationship with God. God has no interest in our resumes. So, in verses four to six, Paul is giving us a little bit of his religious resume, and he's doing it tongue in cheek. But he's saying, he's communicating to everybody just how superior he is, like on paper. He's got an incredible resume. He's like, oh, tribe of Benjamin, right? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm faultless according to the law. That's a bold claim. Faultless according to the law. And most of us would read that resume and we would think, wow, this guy must really have a leg up on his relationship with God. But then Paul twists that 180 degrees and he says, no, 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 actually all of those things that I just told you, they have had the opposite effect for me. He says that anything that I have brought to my relationship with God in the end has ended up costing me something. It's been a loss for me. He says any pride or any confidence that I have ever had in myself or in my religiosity or my holiness, it has always worked against me. Any bullet point that I have on my resume has only ever put distance between me and God, he says. We need to rethink the nature of our relationships with God. God has no interest in our resumes. He has no interest in how good we've been. He has no interest in how religious we are or how zealous we are or how Christian reformed we are. He doesn't care. God isn't interested in purchasing our timeshare. This is not a sales pitch. God is not impressed by our pious attitudes. God is not impressed by our Yelp reviews. We tend to think, we tend to assume that the strength of our relationship with God depends on the strength of what we have to offer to God. Let me say that again. We tend to assume that the strength of our relationship with God depends on the strength of what we have to offer to God, and that is just asinine. That is foolishness to the highest degree. That is arrogance to the highest degree. It's just not true. One of my favorite preachers says... As Christians, not only are we to to renounce our sin, but we are also to renounce our righteousness. Not only are we to renounce our sin, we are to renounce our righteousness. Do you feel the liberation in that, brothers and sisters? That's That's a freeing word to you and me. That's liberation to us. We may renounce our righteousness, You're only welcome to the party if you promise to bring nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We need to rethink the nature of our relationship to God. So in verse 10, Paul says... I want to know Christ. And that's the key. Because that was, a, that was a great big change for him. It used to be that he wanted God to know him right? It used to be that he wanted God to recognize him. It used to be that he wanted God to appreciate him. It used to be that he wanted God to see him. But now he takes a, a, a turn, a 180 degree turn, and he says, no, 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 I want to know Christ. I want to see the ways that Christ is reaching out to me. I want to see the places and the situations where Christ is showing up in all of his presence, and all of his beauty, and all of his power. I want to see Christ. It's a 180-degree turn from the man he was. This is something of an oversimplification, but I, I, think it, I think it has value. It seems to me that we can have a faith, that we can have a faith that leans inward that leans toward the self, that has a focus on the self. Or we can have a faith that leans outward, that leans leans toward God and toward our neighbor and puts the focus on God and on our neighbor. Paul says, I I want to see Christ. I want to know Christ. Christ. So that has me wondering how can we see Christ? How can we know Christ? I came across uh, this article in Time Magazine it's from like 20 some years ago. It's written by a man named Robert Hughes, who's an art critic, a very famous, apparently, art critic for many years. And he writes this article in Time Magazine called In Death's Throat. I strongly encourage you to read it. Um, And in this short little article, he tells the story about how he was in this terrible car accident in the middle of the Australian bush. This terrible car accident. And even though he teetered on the verge of life and death for some time, and he spent months in a coma, uh, he very improbably survived. He, He survived. So in this article which is really well written. He's obviously a very talented person. He talks about how as he was kind of teetering on the verge of, of life and death, he had some really wild dreams. But, he says, in all of his dreams, Jesus never showed up in any of them. So Hughes uh, is an atheist, and he, he loves to poke fun at religion, kind of tongue-in-cheek. He loves to poke fun, especially at Christianity. Um, uh, so he's constantly, in, in, in this very snarky way, he says, you know, Jesus must have been a little too busy because he never showed up in any of my dreams. Anyway, in the next issue of Time Magazine, a month later, there was a letter to, an ed- to the editor by a man named Pedro Costa. As far as I know, he's just some guy. And Mr. Costa writes to the editor And he thanks Mr. Hughes for sharing his powerful story. But also, he politely suggests that perhaps Jesus did show up along the way. He writes, Mr. Hughes says that he didn't see Jesus beckoning him at the tunnel of white light. But I would like to also ask if he didn't see Christ among that aboriginal family that came upon his wrecked car. I would like to see if he didn't see Christ in the Bidai Danga people who gathered and chanted a prayer along him, around him to try to save his life. I wonder if he didn't see Christ in his friend Daniel, who raced to save his life, and in the police officers and the medics who got to the scene as fast as they could, and in the medical personnel who decided to airlift him to Royal Perth Hospital, and in the people who operated on him nonstop for 13 hours to save his life. I would like to ask Mr. Hughes if he didn't see Christ in the love of his relatives and friends who offered unending support for him in his recovery. What if, perhaps, Mr. Hughes may have missed Jesus in such a crowd? I want to see Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to see him where he is and where he shows up and how he presents himself to me. That's where I want my attention to be, Paul says. Not in what I bring to the relationship, not in what my resume is, but only in what he brings. So given the options of leaning in on myself or leaning out toward Christ and out toward others, he says, I want to know Christ. We need to rethink the nature of our relationship to God because it's not like our other relationships. We need to repent of our sin End of our righteousness. We need to approach God in just the right way, and that is to approach Him with nothing at all. Pray with me. We recognize, Lord Christ, that the breath in our lungs this morning is a gift from you. Our ability to be here this morning is a gift from you. Our ability to think and wonder and doubt and believe is a gift from you. Our prayer today, as we walk toward the cross with you and eventually toward the empty tomb is that we would lean further and further into you, into the power that you have given us, into the love that you have for us, and that all that power and love would flow directly through us and into this world. We thank you, too, for setting this table for us this morning, to which we bring absolutely nothing. We repent of our sin, we repent of our righteousness, we lay down everything that we have and everything that we do not have, and we come to you as empty vessels eager to be filled by your grace.